0: This is Boss Radio, Talk for Guitar, presented by BossUS.com. Hey, Paul Hansen here. Welcome to the 33rd edition of Boss Radio. Today we have a guest who has played with so many artists and has done so many tours, it's Pretty amazing. His name is Peter Thorne. He's a L.A. session slash sideman slash also a solo artist. And he's a very interesting guy. I think currently he's playing with Don Hanley and Melissa Etheridge. Oh, my gosh. There's so many credits. So we'll talk to him all about that. But first, let's take a listen to some of Peter's music. Here's an excerpt from Peter's album, Guitar nerd, and this is from the cut, Revenge of the Nerd. Here's an excerpt. It's Paul Hanson. How's it going, Paul? It's going great. Hey, um, I thought you looked familiar. I see these MI ads, you know, for Musicians Institute in Hollywood, and there'll be a picture of you, and it'll say, this cool guy, Peter Thorne, became a success. You could, too. I see those in guitar (laughs) magazines. Yeah, and I think that you look, look familiar.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a long time. You know, it was like 90. In September 90, I went. I was there, I swear it, I had a mullet, but I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember
0: me being there?
1: Oh yeah, for sure, oh okay, we still went down playing and stuff. yeah
0: was that when the okay, we had the l a earthquakes, the huge quake that was maybe yeah, not that
1: was a little bit after
0: so that was not maybe ninety two and yeah. w- What about the riots?
1: Man, the riots happened right after I graduated. Like, i just moved out to Westwood, I think. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and so they happened just after that.
0: Pretty crazy time.
1: It was. The riots was totally bizarre. Hey,
0: Peter, you're not originally from L.A., are you?
1: No, I'm Canadian, actually.
0: Ah! What part of Canada did you grow up in?
1: Uh, Edmonton. Edmonton. um, Yeah, Alberta. Yeah, so I was uh, I grew up there, you know, until I was uh, I guess nineteen, and that's when I came to LA and went to MI.
0: You must have played in bands up there.
1: I did, but not a whole lot because I, you know, I was pretty much right out of high school. I was moving down to LA to go to school and stuff, so I uh-huh. didn't get a lot of time in bands. You know, just because I mean I did like high school bands and stuff like that, but uh-huh. didn't didn't do anything too professional up there. So I taught a lot.
0: How old were you when you moved to L.A.?
1: I was 19 when I came to go to MI.
0: So what was that like? What did you feel like arriving in L.A.?
1: Well, I loved it. I mean, I was really ready. It was like, you know, an exciting time. I, I'd been down a few times. I'd come down for a, a meeting at MI and met some of the people there and stuff and knew that's what I really wanted to do. And I was down. I worked for a music store in my hometown, so I came for like a Nam show the year before. Oh, uh-huh. And hung out then a little bit and stuff. I was just really ready to go. You know, I just, that's what I wanted to do was play guitar, and that's all I cared about. It was like, yeah, let's do this. It wasn't, it wasn't even a, uh, for me, I don't think that shocking of a move. I mean, it it sort of was, but I was so ready to do it that it, I was like determined that this was going to work out, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe naively, you know, it's like I was just like that crazy fire to do it, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. So, I just got your, um, Guitar nerd CD and it's slamming, dude. It's really good. On the cover, that must be a picture of you back in Edmonton.
1: Yeah, when I'm like ten, and my mom wanted to (laughs) do family photos or whatever. You know, so I'm like, let me bring my guitar. You know, like that was my first photo shoot.
0: The album is called Guitar Nerd. I mean, I felt like I was a guitar nerd. I was not the cool guy at school. Were you actually a guitar nerd? Do you feel like?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, that was me on the cover of that record. It's like bad haircut and thick glasses and the whole thing, but I could play. I like kind of around the fifth or sixth grade was when I discovered guitar and I was, you know, crappy at sports and I was uh, I did good in school and stuff, but I was, uh, I, I just wasn't fighting anything. That was really my thing. Like latching on to something like a lot of kids find, you know, whatever, football uh-huh. or something. And it yeah. wasn't my deal, but when I discovered music and guitar in particular, you know, I just kind of like was obsessed. So, you know, kind of it was cool because it, you could you could still then hang out with the cool kids. They're like, well, he's pretty goofy, but he's like, can, he can shred. So. But he <laughs> plays guitar? <laughs> <laughs> like by the time I was like 13 or 14, I was like playing, you know, like little high school bands and playing like high school dance or whatever, you know, and uh-huh. they were like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Like, Yeah. And I was practicing like constantly, you know, all the time. And that was, as you know, that was like a pretty crazy time for guitar, like 82, 83, 84, you know.
0: So you're maybe about 10 years younger than me. So you kind of grew up with what Randy Rhodes and Van Halen and... Uh...
1: Totally. So, yeah, that was my thing, yeah.
0: Did Van Halen come up to Edmonton? Did you see concerts up there?
1: I saw Van Halen on the 1984
0: tour, yeah. Oh, 80. wow. That must have been great.
1: It was great. I'm glad I saw them, you know, with Dave once before. You know, I've seen him a few times since then, but it was it was cool to see him with Dave and the original lineup and everything. It was fun.
0: Eddie's playing was just so incredible.
1: Yeah, he's amazing. He's, he's uh, God, he's an unbelievable guitar player um, and such a huge influence on me.
0: Oh, man. I remember seeing them on the, um, it might have been the, it was the Diver Down tour. And, uh, oh, cool. So, before they started to play, the warm van had already gone on. Before they started to play, the curtain is closed, and this is at the LA Forum, you know. So, anyway, it's just packed. And uh, Eddie does some like maybe third fret on the G string harmonic with the whammy bar. <laughs> the whole place erupted into insanity. You know, the curtain's still closed, but the whole place erupted into insanity for about 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah exactly man it's, They were I totally so, get it I mean that's what I remember I remember them being so loud When they came out They started with Unchained But I couldn't tell uh, What song it was I was in the third row floor But way on the end uh-huh. Like maybe Four or five seats From the end So I was right in front of the PA And I probably lost some hearing That night Because it was <laughs> like It was like my hair Getting blown back When that opening riff came in You know
0: Oh and my uh, gosh
1: it's just like magic, you know. Pretty
0: so, cool. so let's go back to GIT, and um, you said you practiced a lot. Were, were you a eight hour a day practicer?
1: You know, I never was. Um, I mean, maybe at times when I have when I have to get things done, I'll still do that. You know, uh-huh. but it's like I'm maybe. I mean, it's hard for me to actually stay focused and diligent. If I've got a goal and I've got, like, for instance, if I'm doing a tour now and I have a ton of songs to learn, uh-huh. I get pretty focused and pretty pretty diligent about it. But right. other than that, I'm a little ADD. I'm a little all over the map. So if I play three or four hours, I'm pretty like, okay, i got to get outside and go do something, you know?
0: So at GIT, who was your private instructor? Uh, Nick Nolan. Oh my gosh, Nick Nolan. Wow.
1: Yeah. Have you talked to him lately? I haven't. I mean it's probably been ten years. I think he's in doing like film and T V music.
0: So I interviewed him for this this podcast. He's the uh, composer for PBS kids show Curious George.
1: He was a great guitar player and a really good guy. I learned a lot from him.
0: When you finished GIT, you joined this band called the Surreal McCoys?
1: That's true, yeah. Yeah. I wrote a bunch of songs and uh, joined a band with these folks and we recorded and demoed about I think 50 songs, and uh, eventually ended up getting a record deal in Japan. And um, our singer was half half Japanese, and he's an amazing guitar player, and plays with uh, Roger Daltrey now. Wow. He was my predecessor playing with Don Henley. He was with him for like 20 years, and his MD, and he's somewhat of a mentor of mine. He's a really great guy. Wow. His name's Frank Symes, but he grew up in Japan until he was 14, and uh, he could speak fluent Japanese and you know, with no discernible accent, and um, so anyway, we were having trouble getting a deal in the states or in North America, and this Japanese businessman came along and said, "Why don't you cut three songs in Japanese, and I'll see if I can get you a deal over there if nothing works out in the states?" And that's what ended up happening. So we made this record for for the the Japan market in Southeast Asia, and it was I think six songs. Half of it was in Japanese. It was uh-huh. fun. It was cool. It didn't end up really going anywhere, but. Um, it got me on of working a day job and, and got me into <laughs> playing music full time. So.
0: And did you spend much time in Japan?
1: We basically went over there to work on the terms of the uh, work out the terms of the deal, and then the record was actually made in L.A. And then we never ended up touring and stuff. I did go a couple times, you know, and I and I love Japan. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's, one of it's my favorite places. I'm sure you've been there a lot, right?
0: You know what? It's so different. I've been there a bunch of times. It's a really different place than the U.S.
1: Yeah, I'm always blown away with the. Uh, uh, functioning city of 18 million or whatever it is, how people are basically on top of one another and it's still very clean and everybody's really respectful. And it's just like, I almost feel like when I go there a lot of times, just in terms of uh, people being polite as well as um, uh, the cleanliness and whatnot and how everything runs like clockwork, it's like almost like going to a better planet or something.
0: So after the Cyril McCoys were over, you auditioned for different gigs and you ended up with Adam Cohen.
1: That's right. I ended up uh, sort of getting into touring land and uh-huh. uh, touring as a sideman while also working on, you know, occasionally some other bands and things. But I would tour, and, and I uh, I got, I think, was was probably my first real touring gig with Adam, and it was maybe 98 or something like that.
0: Uh-huh. Here's something else from Peter's album Guitar Nerd. This is an excerpt from the song Monster Movie. Since then, you've done so many gigs. After the Surreal McCoys, you were in Blinker, The Star, and then Five for Fighting. And uh, I, I love that 100 Years song by is John Androzic. John, oh, John Androzic, yeah. yeah. You've done a lot of tours. You must be a kind of a chameleon, be able to adjust for whatever this, the style is.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing, and you need to feel it out with every gig. Um, there's going to be a degree of they want you to bring your own thing, and there's uh-huh. going to be a degree of you know do what was there uh, uh-huh. on the record. And you kind of need to feel it out. No two situations are the same. I tend to uh, to veer towards play it like the record, especially when you're going into audition and uh-huh. whatnot. You know, my, I, I've got a theory on it that it's like, if you can cop the tones and the parts off the record and really hone in on them uh-huh. uh, at the audition, I, basically I, w- I want to make the artist feel like, wow, we could walk out on stage right now and play a gig and we'd be okay. It would be pretty good, and, you know? And we haven't even rehearsed. Right? But, you know, in a way, it's sort of, in a positive way, it strokes their ego, you know? Because it's like yeah. they've just made a record for maybe six months or a year and they know every note on that record. So. You know what I mean? They've, yeah. They know every little nuance. If you go in and you've showed attention to detail and that you've paid attention to all those things, um, my theory is that they'll, they'll go, wow, this guy really cares about my music. He's obviously diligent and put in all this time, you know? Right. And uh, that's going to bode well towards you getting the gig. Now, once you get the gig, they might say, hey, you know, you can be a little more yourself or stretch a little more here. They might even do that in the audition. Like, why don't you just go off and do your own thing there or whatever, you know? And uh-huh. then you go ahead and take liberties. But I I think the safest thing is, yeah, be, be the chameleon a little bit, at right. least right at the beginning, for sure. Go in and try and cop whatever happened with who played on the album, and then, you know, see if there's room to stretch from there. Uh,
0: you know, for me, I've gone into gigs and realized, whoa, I brought a Marshall half stack, I should have brought a combo, Um I'm wearing a leather jacket and everybody's wearing flannel, you know. Right, right. Do you kind of figure that out or just wear something generic and bring, have a generic combo amp that you bring? What do you um, do?
1: I built a rig a few years ago that, you know, I've had different rigs over the years and whatnot, but basically now I have a, a signature model amp that I do with different and uh it's called the, the pt-100 and so i'll bring that
0: which kind of amp peter
1: it's called the pt-100 and it's it's made by sir by john sir, sir yeah i'll bring that because it's generally it's super versatile and what what i tend to do is at home when i'm learning the music i'll put everything together as far as effects and the amp channels and i'll set the controls and i'll get it all dialed in you know so that when i get to the audition i'm just like ready to go and you just kind of have to trust your instinct like you know, is this a Les Paul or is this a Strat or is this a Tele or, you know, doing one more boxy thing or more Fendery thing or more marshley thing and, uh, put all those sounds together. And I sort of think that that's one of my strong suits as a, as a side guy is that, you know, I'll tend to walk in and kind of have that stuff dialed in, which makes people feel comfortable. I think it's a good thing to get comfortable with your gear and, you know, it be versatile enough. And have some different guitars and different things that so you can walk into those situations and, and really spend some time. I had a time knowing, uh, like listening to the tunes and really dialing into the parts. Uh, you know, many times they'll say, oh, just show up and there'll be an amp here or whatever. And I I tend to go all out um, to the uh-huh. extent where I'll even hire a tech and maybe um, cartage to get my gear there for the audition. Uh-huh. You know, it might cost you 200 bucks, you know, but um, uh-huh. at the end of the day, it might mean you getting a gig. So That makes
0: so much sense.
1: You know what I mean? Because you really, first of all, here's people showing up with all your stuff. And that's like, wow, this guy's really like putting his best foot forward. And second of all, uh-huh. it's like, you don't have to think of it, then you know your sounds are going to be good because you worked on it at home. I mean, I'll literally set up a, uh, my pedal board at home and stand and play the songs like I'm going to play them at the audition with all Absolutely. the tones and everything all dialed in. And um, yeah. I've even rented a rehearsal studio so that I could play full volume and sing through a PA at the same time, uh-huh. you know, and stuff with them. <laughs> like, those are the things that I'll do. I'm kind of crazy about this stuff, maybe, but it, it, tends, to, it tends to pay off, you know. Yeah,
0: your formula definitely works. So you have a huge list of people you played with. Let's see, with the band Five for Fighting, you did The Tonight Show and Letterman, stuff like that. What was that like? I've never done gigs like that.
1: TV shows are... Um are funny, you know, they just they're over before you know it and there's a lot of hurry up and wait. So it's yeah. like you know, some of them some of them more than others. Um a show like Leno, uh typically you show up I think at ten thirty or eleven in the morning and uh-huh. you'll get acquainted with your gear and maybe do a run through just for monitors and for the, the sound people. Then you take a couple hours off, you come back around 1.30, and you do a couple run-throughs for cameras, camera blocking, and uh-huh. then you're off for about another three hours, and then you come back at 4.30 or 5, and actually do the show, you know, and the whole show takes, uh-huh. because the musical artist is generally at the end, you know, so you'll uh-huh. sit there and be watching the show in the green room or something, and just. You know, here we are, like, six, seven hours into the day. Yeah. And eventually, okay, let's go. And you get out. You run out on stage, and there's, like, at Leno, there's always uh, kind of a divider down in front of you. And this uh-huh. thing shoots up, and that's when you're supposed to start. And three minutes later, it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Go. Okay, stop. Okay, you're done. Yeah. You know, it's the strangest feeling. <laughs> um, and I don't know that it ever gets comfortable. You know, it kind of yeah. ends up... Uh, I, I always end up just looking at all the guys and go, hey, see so on the other <laughs> side, you know, and like kind of have a laugh before you do it, because it's like, what are going to do? It's, wow. it's such a weird situation, really.
0: So for Leno, do you just hang around the studio all day? I mean, the, the TV studio there?
1: I started leaving, um, to tell you the truth. I think they like you to stay, but, you know... I've got friends around there with yeah. music stores and places I can go hang and stuff. So uh-huh. I'll, I'll generally jet after that with that camera blocking thing, I'll take off for a couple hours just to get my head out of that zone. And then I uh-huh. find I come back and I'm not like yeah. obsessing over the gig or something, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, I remember one time I was pl- I was doing it with, uh, I think it uh-huh. was Mandy Moore and, uh, mm-hmm. my buddy John Fields is a great producer had, produced her latest record and was also playing bass on on it that day. Uh And he said, hey, I saw a uh, Acapulco across the street. Let's go get margaritas or something. (laughs) I was like, I don't think that's a very good idea. You go, seatborn. That's your problem. You're too uptight.
0: Did he convince you? Did you have a margarita? I
1: definitely had a margarita. But yeah, I, I, so I <laughs> thought, you know, he's right. Maybe I am too uptight. So we went and had margaritas and then came back and did the show. And you know what? It was great. It ended up being really good.
0: So. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Wow.
1: I heard a great thing that Zach Wild said in an interview. They asked him how he prepares for big gigs and doing TV and things like that. Of course, yeah. He said, do you know what I do? Nothing. I do the same thing I did at the other 80 shows where everything worked fine, you know? Because if you get too, oh, this is important now. There's important people here. Or, oh, yeah. this TV. There's 5 million people watching. And you get that in your head, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. You've played the song a hundred times probably already. So just go out there and have a good time and do what you always do. And lo and behold, it always ends up, you know, working out and everything's cool. And at the end of the day, that's all anybody wants to see you do anyway on TV, right? They want to see somebody cut loose and have a good time. My own laugh, and if there's a wrong note or something, it's not a big deal, you know. It's uh, Man.
0: rock and roll. So I read you were in Robbie Draco Rosa's band for a while, and uh, mm-hmm. Alicia Keys, Jewel. What are those gigs like?
1: Draco's gig was super cool. He's an amazing artist from Puerto Rico, and uh, mostly uh, Spanish language. I joined around the time he was putting out an English album, but... It, he has a huge following in, in South America and Central America and Spain, and so we would tour those places a lot, and oh, that was just wow. amazing. You know? we, I think in the whole time I played with him, like two and a half years, I think we maybe did six gigs in the U.S. So it was that was a fascinating experience um, to get out and be able to tour some of those places. And those are, I swear, the best audiences in the world are South America.
0: So um, you recently toured with Chris Cornell, right? Or maybe that was in 2007?
1: Yeah, seven through mid two thousand nine.
0: Did you guys tour with Aerosmith?
1: Oh uh, yeah, we did. We did some some touring with Aerosmith in Europe.
0: I'm a I'm a fan of Chris Cornell. He's such a great singer. Soundgarden, Audio Slave. What was that like playing with him?
1: It was amazing. Like almost like you got to experience what it would be like to be in uh, in a band like an Audio Slave or a Soundgarden. You know, at that level because we uh-huh. were playing these huge rock festivals. You know, a lot of sideman gigs that I've done are more with maybe singer songwriters or you know, a lot of them are pop artists or Right. Not necessarily like full tilt rock and roll, you know. Right. Whereas Chris's gig was well, it was really varied. I mean, he's got a lot of his soul material and whatnot is super varied outside of the realm uh-huh. of hard rock. But, you know, we were playing a lot of Soundgarden and Audio Slay and Temple of the Dog and those songs. And, uh-huh. and, you know, so you're out there warming up for Aerosmith and you're playing 50,000, 60,000 people and doing the wow. kind of like Outshine and, and get, you know, Black Hole Sun and stuff. It was pretty uh-huh. epic.
0: It's like, um, it, it was a blast. Did man, you? It, that never gets old walking on stage in front of the crowds like that. Oh, man. Did you play that phase shifter high part in Black Hole Sun?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Wow, that's yeah.
0: so cool. Here's another excerpt from Peter's solo album, Guitar Nerd. This excerpt is from the song Velvet Fist. back to the tour you did with Chris Cornell was it kind of um, a mellow kind of backstage or what was the tour like?
1: Yeah it's pretty mellow definitely pretty mellow it's like Chris's family had come out a lot and you know we we were all like uh, well it was a rock and roll tour and all that you know we're all grown up so uh-huh. <laughs> yeah so, everybody's getting older and stuff so it's like there's it a funny gig in that sense because it's like you are out there and you're like totally rocking like, but you're still a side man, so yeah. Like my backstage experience isn't necessarily what some people would, you know. There's not like this craziness going on because it's like you're there to do a job and deliver, you know. Uh-huh. So you, that's part of the gig. Is it's like you're, everybody's kind of maybe a bit angled and very
0: together, and you know, you know, you can't like kind of fly off the rails and do something crazy because you're fired. And, <laughs> if you were the original member and the guy who wrote the song yeah, yeah and then
1: you can like throw tvs out windows and, yeah you know stuff like that <laughs> that doesn't happen in my world i don't think anyway oh, yeah. I, i've always said i'm gonna go out big though paul I mean, <laughs> some i want i want to go out big sometime like from this business it's like i want people to say did you hear what thorn did at that gig and such? <laughs> oh, i don't know what it'll be but it'll be something crazy well, cool. you know and then i'll like move to dakota or something
0: North Dakota. <laughs> North is great.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, become a car salesman. Or
0: oh, the best. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're in Daniel Powder's band. He's he's the guy who wrote that, You had a bad day. Da, 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 da. That's him. Man, I love that song. Um, what was that gig like?
1: Uh, Daniel was cool. We, we actually only did a couple things live. I went and played in Japan with him once, actually. And I played on his second album with... Uh, Perry producing they pretty much made the whole record again it's a great record
0: hey Peter let's talk about gear I saw the video that you did describing how to use the ps2 power stack pedal
1: yeah yeah that that pedal is fantastic I have to say and they just sent me the uh the new one the uh Uh, uh, bc2
0: british combo the bc2 exactly yeah
1: so I'm going to do something for that, too. And they're really amazing pedals. I, I watched the Power Stack one the other day, and uh, it knocked me out again. The, in particular, the sound I had in the middle that I dialed in using the left ball, and I was like, man, that sounds good. Like, it's, it's a really cool pedal.
0: Yeah, it, they, there's some kind of technology in there that it, rather than, you know, like traditional pedals, they're just kind of overdrive circuits. But this is with new technology that is able to Mimic an actual amp. Have you gotten the British combo, the BC2 yet? Combo Drive—that's what it's called.
1: I, yeah, I do have it here actually. So I'm gonna do something cool with it, similar to the Power Stack video I did. And it's an amazing pedal. Um, you know, right? I only plugged it in once so far, so I need to spend some more time with it. But uh, it imparts that uh, um, sort of forward mid character that you would expect that a, a British uh-huh. combo would have and yeah. it's, it's got the the drive knob on it which essentially from one end to the other goes from pretty much a crystal clean sound but with the British characteristic uh, all the way to you know screaming high gain pretty much.
0: Kind of like reminiscent of the Vox AC30 I think that's what they're going for
1: Exactly, yeah
0: um, I noticed in your pedal board you have an NS2 noise suppressor Uh
1: I don't. Although I've used that pedal before uh-huh. in the past, some of the other Boss pedals I have are the, uh, the that I'm really digging. Is I still bust out the compressor sometimes to use on sessions because it has a certain, uh, you know, the classic blue Boss compressor. Uh-huh. It has a CS3 a really distinctive sound.
0: For, do you use that on clean sounds?
1: Yeah, I generally like compression on clean tones. You know, it, I use it more and more these days. Actually, compression on clean tones. It's uh, it's uh, I've succumbed. <laughs> to the, uh, the compressor. Yeah. You know, it just makes it, I'm getting older, and I like things easier. <laughs> it makes things easier to play. <laughs>
0: you don't have to pick every string perfectly even.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it it just, helps you out a little yeah. bit. So, um, so I like that a lot. And uh, the other one that I've used for quite some time now is the uh, Space Echo uh, recreation in a pedal.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a great yeah. pedal. The RE20 yeah, that's cool. such a cool pedal. On the right side, is that the tap tempo?
1: Yeah, and then it's got the, uh, you can make it run away with the repeats, you know, yep. when you stand on it.
0: Hold it down.
1: Exactly. And it's it just got that distinctive tape delay um, modulation on the repeats and stuff. They did a great job on that pedal. It's really cool.
0: And you can also dial in some of the reverb. And, you know, you get all the advantages of the tape, but you don't have the tape. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's such a problematic thing. I think yeah. using uh, tape tape delays, you know, on tour. you know, even in the studio, it's like sometimes I'll bust them out because a couple producers I know have them, and it's like, oh, let's try the Echo Plex, but they're noisy, and uh, you know, if they're not set up just right, it's a pain, you know. And so, then, oh, let's go back to the pedal, you know.
0: I use Echo Plexes for maybe ten years, and I would carry around this reel of tape. And um, after sound check, if I had time, you know, if I needed to change the tape, I would put some more tape in that little cartridge thing. Right. And then I used Scotch tape, just regular uh, Scotch tape to put the ends together. And (laughs) whenever that end would come around, you know, the echoes going, duh, duh. (laughs) Yeah. Funny nowadays i'm thinking that digital you know 10 years ago it, it almost was a dirty word but nowadays with the high sampling rates and the
1: yeah i mean the, the advantages are are many you know especially when you we're talking about a you know a pedal like the the uh power stack pedal mm-hmm. you know it's like it's kind of hard to deny you know there'll be naysayers like oh you know i, I somebody said to me the other day what about that pedal he did that thing for how does that thing sound kind of like pooing it or something at the tone uh-huh. of the voice I said watch this and I pulled it up on my iPhone you know the uh-huh. video and put yeah. it into his scar stereo and he listened to it and he was like oh my god that sounds perfect you know it's really good <laughs> 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 and it's you know uh, around a hundred bucks I think so it's like it's it's pretty great that you can yeah. uh, you can do what you can do these days yeah. you know you, you brought up my record I mean my record was all made at home to be able to do that now pretty much you know by yourself at home a lot of the, a lot of the drums are programmed on that record you know, you can get some incredible results these days.
0: I should mention, to see these videos of Peter playing these and showing these Boss pedals, just type in Peter Thorne and Boss into YouTube and you'll find them. Peter, I wanted to ask you how you record these, um, the audio part.
1: Yeah, I try and just keep the signal really clean and pretty dry so that as to, you know, really show off whatever gear I'm, uh-huh. I'm trying to demonstrate so that you're, you're really hearing the guitar tone really raw you know because and the other thing i I just try and play simple and record really clean audio because um i think a lot of a lot of stuff you see on youtube and whatnot you can't really tell what's going on especially if it's just camera audio or you know but if you've got a a speaker mic properly and it's a good clean hot signal and you don't pile on a bunch of effects or anything like that people are really going to hear what it sounds like you know yeah yeah. I hear people say, I can't make it sound like that, like if they'll buy a piece of gear or something that maybe I was doing a demo of. All it is is a cabinet with a mic on it, and, uh, you know, there it is. So I think it's a pretty honest representation.
0: Yeah. And it's the playing, you know, your playing is great. Must have been from my open counseling sessions you dropped in.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, come on. Yeah. That was part of it for sure.
0: Peter, any last words about boss gear?
1: Um, you know, when I think about Boss Gear, I think you see guys like Prince, you know, and they'll have uh-huh. like a simple pedal board with five pedals on it. And they're all Boss pedals. Uh-huh. And I think <laughs> about my tuners that I've got, you know, and the classic like Boss stuff works and it's like built like a tank. And mm-hmm. they're, com- they're completely unique and original design with the way the foot pedal is and everything. And they're kind of a, the original legendary pedal company, I feel like, you know. Also, I use that Boss micro-cube backstage to warm up.
0: Oh, yeah. I love those amps. Roland micro-cube. Yeah,
1: it's great. You can throw batteries in it. You know, I'll take it on the back in the back lounge of the bus or wherever, and the thing sounds amazing. You know, it's fun to sit there and play through, so I've got one of those as well. I went to the Guitar Center and bought it for, like, I don't know, it was like 115 bucks. It's like, this yeah. thing's great. Yeah. You know, it's all you need. So they just make a ton of cool stuff for guitar players. Mm-hmm. and I can't say enough good things I don't know you can pretty much if you need to do a gig and I've actually had to do this where I've had my, my rig go down and you know you call the local backline company or I run down to the local music store and grab a few boss pedals and run into an amp and you're going to be fine
0: hey Peter do you have any uh, final advice I mean you, you've had such an uh, amazing career played with so many different people is there like one nugget of of advice you could give someone who wanted to do that have a successful career too?
1: Hmm. stay in school kids stay in school don't do what i've done no i don't know stay in school. <laughs> i mean pretty much i was just so crazy about playing guitar that i didn't see any other path and i think that you've got to know that in your heart this is what you want to do not necessarily for the money the guitar found me it sort of has to be an obsession in order right. to do it for a career
0: it's almost like a vocation my mom used to say you get a vocation to become a priest or right. if you're a girl a nun you don't decide to do it god tells you to do
1: it i think it's that <laughs> yeah that's a good example yeah that's an actual example there's got to be this voice that comes <laughs> and says this is your thing <laughs> yeah. Do this, yeah young man or young lady
0: yeah cool so awesome! Thanks so much. Did you say you're practicing learning material right now for a band?
1: I've been doing some uh, some playing with Don Henley, so we're just finishing uh. a couple dates, and he's he's been a blast to play with. And uh. so I'm doing that as well as getting ready to do some Melissa Etheridge dates in the new year. But that's it. Really. Do you play
0: any Eagles songs with Don Henley?
1: We do, actually. Yeah.
0: Do you do Hotel California? We do. <laughs> oh my gosh! You yeah. do you, you play that solo?
1: Well, so like the split solo, so you know I take half of it. Oh, that's right. The Joe Walsh part.
0: Oh, so you do that crazy Joe Walsh? That's (laughs) (laughs)
1: love his guitar playing. Joe is amazing.
0: Oh yeah, he comes in halfway through with that kind of, you know, almost Chuck Berry kind of bend and then double stop on the high E and B. Yeah. Well, you have a great time, Peter, and I just love talking to you and you know all the best and everything. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Okay, I'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay, talk to you soon then.
0: This is from that video, YouTube video of Peter playing through the ST2 power stack pedal. Hey, um, thanks to Peter and thank you for using Boss gear, Boss pedals, Boss effects, Boss multi-track recorders, Boss metronomes, Boss tuners, Boss recorders, I said recorders, (laughs) drum machines, everything. Thanks so much. Remember you can find more out about Boss stuff at BossUS.com. All hands insane. See you later.